Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The following big interview was posted in full for our socios, our members, our friends, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And that was last season, 2019-20. Sign up there and you'll get every interview we produce before it's released on the main feed, plus the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You'll also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. And what's more, you'll be supporting us. You'll be keeping this independent podcast on the road. Thank you. League Cup final, Blackburn managed by Graham Souness, favourite of mine. Spurs managed by, <clears throat> okay, we share initials. If you've listened to this series, Glenn Hoddle... I was so supporting Blackburn, and thank you, thank you, thank you. To the coming player of that moment, Matt Janssen, scorer, maker of the winner, made my day. The reason that Matt Janssen isn't to the forefront of your football memory from the early to mid-2000s is that he had a dreadful accident, which wasn't his fault, in Rome, doing uh, Gregory Peck, Audrey Hepburn, skittishly scooting around the eternal city on a moped until, well, very near tragedy stuck. It ruined the remainder of his career and it left him with demons that he had to fight with all his efforts in order to resurrect himself. He's an interesting man. He's going to be a good coach. He's been a great guest on the big interview. He was a terrific footballer. But what a life. What a tough life. Matt Janssen. Enjoy. We're um, privileged to be in the presence of somebody that I used to watch and admire. Matt, Matt Danson, very welcome to the big interview. Thank you very much. I do like what you've done with your garden. I know this is a recorded thing, people can't see behind you, but it's spiffing with the big trees and the beautiful long... Fairways. This is a place that you frequent, right? Yeah, I used to be a member of the golf course, but I'm still a member of the gym, which I don't uh, get to too many times nowadays. But Mottram Hall, is that where we are? Mottram Hall, yeah. Beautiful day, midsummer. Um, Horses. I don't bet often, but when I go to 
chapters of the course, I tend to win more because I look at the parading and I always have this feeling that I can look at the, the horses going round, National Hunt rather than flat is my thing. And I always imagine that I can see elegance and balance and character. Now, that might be total nonsense. And the fact that the bookies win more than punters suggests that it is. But I remember when I began watching you, which wasn't at Carlisle, it was at Crystal Palace. Uh, largely it was in television, but I was reporting on English football then, so I would come to some of your games, uh, Palace and, and Blackburn. And that's what I remember thinking about watching you um, in your prime, that you were a really unusual mix of elegance. There was a balance and athleticism and naturalness about your play. There was a toughness, and, and you were willing to put yourself... The, the mix of thoroughbred and able to put yourself in all kinds of sticky situations... I'm not going to disagree with you at all. <laughs> you keep on going if you want. Although <laughs> um, I just I'll move the oats out of the way. <laughs> no, I, do you, do you, do you, did you understand what I'm trying to get at? I, I think I, I think I just grew and grew in confidence, and 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 that helps. I used to, I used to constantly as a as a kid fall over, bang my head, stand behind a swing, get knocked down, and whether it's stupidity or bravery, um, I used to put my head where where it sometimes got knocked and, and maybe that helped with me in the football with the especially 20 years ago when a tackle was a tackle and, a, and an arm across your face was, was very common so um, maybe the bravery or stupidi- stupidity came from growing up really and having numerous bangs to their head and although you would class yourself as left footed I, I thought you were reasonably ambidextrous and that you had, an, you had an awful lot of ways to score. And the things that probably stood out most about you was you were able to do elite things sometimes, passing, scoring, set up. But you, you did score goals of wonderful quality and they seemed to come naturally to you. Yeah, I loved, I loved scoring goals. I loved setting people up. Uh, it, it didn't happen overnight, though, I don't think. I think it was just a rise of... Starting at Carlisle, wanting to get into the first team at Carlisle United, doing that and, and my confidence growing. Then suddenly I've got interest from Newcastle, Man United, Crystal Palace. You that, that was that was slightly later, but that, uh, then I'm, then I grew in confidence. Ended up going to Crystal Palace. Got young player of the season in the last four or five months, and so my my ego, my ego and confidence grew again. Then they got into financial difficulty, so they had to sell me again. And the interest was. Like you say, Juventus came in for me with the likes of Zidane and Del Piero and etc. So my confidence just grew and grew and grew, and and I think that helped me with my uh, ability on the field. That, that I had that much confidence, give me the ball, I want to show off, score great goals, or or, or set people up comfortably. Um, I think it stemmed from me just growing that ego and getting that self belief. To to what extent did hack football help you get oh. to these places? <laughs> oh, yeah, I used to do. Well, explain to people who don't know what hack football, hack football is. Well, we called it hack football at break times at, at school. I was at Newman School in Carlisle, and we played on a rock hard tennis court, tarmac tennis court. It was our teams would constantly win, so they brought in a new regime where you're, you're allowed to hack, you're allowed to foul. We're on concrete, so we get again. This might add to the stupidity or the bravery that we, we discussed earlier. It was like the Maradona punishments that he used to get. Players. Kicking you all over the place, or you're trying to, 
you try and ride the tackles really and, and I think that helps you in, in, in the future uh, going forward that you can take a tackle or you can ride a tackle and it, but it was it proper helped. kicking wasn't oh, it oh proper uh, pushing pulling kicking tripping no fouls oh, effectively no fouls no, no referee no fouls so <laughs> Um, you should probably copyright that. <laughs> well, I don't think you'd be allowed to do it nowadays. And were you always the hacky, or, or were you also the hacker? I was the one. I you, was did the you hacked. get? Did you? I was the one that was trying to get. So you didn't boot people. Or you, if you wanted the ball back, did you do the same to them? In terms of hard knocks at school, I wasn't a hard knock at school. I was more of a lover, not a fighter. Um, but it's. Yeah, some of the lads who, you know, the big bullies, the big ones who think they're the hardest in the year, they would dish out the, the punishments and you just had to try and deal with it, really. You know, we we have to talk about the, the pivotal moment in your life because it changed almost everything for you as a person and you as a footballer. But your, your rise was something of, I think, substance because you'd earned it, you worked hard at it. Good people around you. You come from a really interesting, solid background, and it was like you know the perfect football dream. Just about you know you phoned by Alex Ferguson, mentioned Juventus, you're scoring goals at elite level, and you really had a, a brilliance in in your talent. To, to what extent were you finding that the football world was one that was eccentric and odd and, and difficult to cope with? Because it struck me that, for example, let's let's pluck a quick example. Uh, when you're taken down uh, by Michael Knighton to Crystal Palace, and you're sharing a room with the guy who's trying to sell you and who owns your club, I mean, there, there are a dozen like this that we'll come back to. But while you were on the rise, didn't you find that football was quite an odd business to be in? Yeah, it was bizarre. The Michael Knighton, you know, he's a strange character. It was coming to the stage where. Myself and Rory Delap, after one game, we were we were dropped off at a service station and picked up by Derby County. They they just had an away game and they picked us up and we went and spent three or four days training with them. He thought there was value. He was going to get money for me or me or Rory or both of us. Um, and we were assets to Carlisle United or to to himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It came to a head where he was telling us over to Newcastle and then sent me down to Manchester United where I spent four or five days. This was ongoing and it got to a stage where I was offered, was I going to sign a new contract Mm. or was I going to get sold? And we, my my dad took it upon himself to say, look, enough's enough. He's not carting around the country on trial at every every Premier League club. He either signs a new new contract here and plays for Carlisle United and he'll be happy to do that or you sell him he came back and says well the two highest bids are from Crystal Palace and Manchester United previously he'd taken me down to Crystal Palace I'd spent four or five days at Manchester United but he'd taken me down to, to Crystal Palace where <laughs> we ended up sharing a room together which was the most awkward situation exactly. for a 19 year old only in football <laughs> so he's taking me there uh, meet, meet Ron Nodes did you have to say night chairman or <laughs> how do you handle it you turn over and you, you, you <laughs> I'm not really here I'm not really here <laughs> but I was looked after Ron Nodes uh, took me around to his golf courses I was quite partial to golf so that maybe swung it a little bit and treated me so well and, yeah. and, and real really uh, sold it on me going to Crystal Palace whereas a little bit less intimate at, uh, at Manchester United I was just training I was, I was staying at Diggs you're about to play for England and potentially about to go to the World Cup your brother-in-law's kid. Oh, my sister's kid. My brother's yeah, sister's yeah, kid. Yeah. Had a bug. 
Yeah, well, they lived next door to me. He'd finished university and he ended up sorting out my affairs, uh, became my agent, really. Yeah. And they lived, we, we had properties in, in, in city centre Manchester, um, two, two apartments next to each other. And his kid, Eden, had gastroenteritis. But anyway, I got to, we, were, we were at Carden Park, I was, we were playing Paraguay at Anfield. And I was there, and training went really well. I was partnered up front with, with Michael Owen. Is this the, this is the Ericsson era, right, for England? Ericsson's the coach? Ericsson's the coach, yeah. Training went brilliant the first day, and then during the evening I felt awful, virtually hallucinating, just sick. It was coming out of both ends just constantly. I was on the toilet, and literally I, could, I couldn't hardly get out of bed to mm-hmm. go to the toilet. I was, I was dizzy. I was so bad. And Sven came up saw me and just said Look, take as long as you need I then ended up my brother-in-law came and picked me up I ended up in hospital went back to the apartment where the Crystal Palace doctor came put me on a drip but, but <laughs> got to get, it doesn't get any better he, he put a, a needle into my arm to put me on the drip and it came out the other side he said oh we've we'll, 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 good job I'm not scared of needles but no. uh, um, oh we'll do that again shall we Did he, he should have just said <laughs> acupuncture <laughs> But I felt, uh, you know, I felt so bad anyway. So that was that was minuscule to how how bad I'd felt. And then some reports were on social media or whatever it might have been that said, "Oh, you should give your right arm to play for England." And, and this and that. But I could, <laughs> I'd have been a disgrace. I could I could hardly walk, let alone kick a ball. So I ended up missing out on that that game. Or what would have been a full England debut? And this was in build-up in preparation of what should have been the summer of your life. Yeah. Did effectively become, in a different way, the summer of your life. Because yeah. this would have been a chance to play for England at the World Cup in Japan and South Korea, right? Yes. And, and am I right to say that legitimately you'd forced your way into being in that squad, even though you're a late mention... And I think you were told that you were going to go. And eventually, it's Mark Keown that goes, but had you played and played at the level you were at against Paraguay, it's fair to say there's a good chance you'd have been on that plane, right? Well, I was, <laughs> I was, I've got my suit. I've, I've, I've got my England suit in preparation. To, measured up. To, and measured up, got it, yeah. I had the David Beckham pre-launch party invitations. Uh, we played Liverpool a day before the official squad was being announced yeah. that we were going to the World Cup. And... Sven Goran Eriksson was there, said to they he'd met Sunas in between and Sunas came to me and said, By the way, you're going to the World Cup. Sven's just told me to tell you not to get injured. <laughs> so I played in this played against Liverpool, I think we lost four three in the end, but I scored and I played well. So um, that, that, that little bug in your head about like, don't get injured, you just ignore that and yeah, play. Yeah, you just ignore you play you play the match on some way. Yeah, you know, stand behind a swing <laughs> etc. But um yeah, so I just played, played well. Um, we unfortunately got beat four three, but I, I, you know, I'm going. I'm on the way back home from from Liverpool. I got the World Cup. Mm. I got the World Cup. The next day, next day in the morning, uh, we went, we we came in for a, a warm down, a cool down, um, recovery jog. Suna says uh, you can stay in and look at your name being announced on the, but uh, you're in. Don't worry about it. You're in. You can come out with us and do a warm down, or you can stay in here and. and be proud of, of what you've achieved. There was a delay on the, the team being announced, and further delay, and then it then it got 
further delayed. So I, I went out and did did a, did a jog with the, with the lads. Did a, w- a warm down. There's no dread in the stomach at this stage. Going, well, hold on, where's the where's the news? It it's still that ah, it's it's coming. Yeah, it was it, it was just a, a postponed for media or whatever it was. Continued to be delayed, and then on the way home, driving back to Manchester from from Brockall. They announced the team over the radio, and my name wasn't on it. And I must must have mis, mis, misheard that. Carried on. Then my phone started going. They've taken Martin Keown instead of you. Um, so the agent's frantically, not agent, my brother-in-law is is trying to find out exactly what's happened, and uh, they they opted to take cover rather than rather than myself. So emblematic of that, Ericsson tore grip rain. Caution, conservatism, mm. no risk mm. it, in in team talks, in tactics, in his personality, how he spoke. I mean, it's not an attack on him, but I think that that as much as it cost you, that's so emblematic of what Sven was like. Yeah, I mean, it was frustrating, but at that time, I'm I'm thinking I've had a great season. We've I've scored in the cup final. We've won. We've beaten Spurs in the cup final. My time's coming. As soon as they come back next season, I'll I'll play for England. So that's what I believed, and that's that's where I was at that particular moment. Do you know, that that pinch, I mean, that pinch is having a, a very that's a very robust psychology to have. But I think that, I know a lot of players who that would have hurt deeply, and it would have taken them a long, long time to go over. With. But I, you weren't in that. I, I was gutted. Yeah, obviously you're frustrated, yeah. disappointed, and you're thinking, "I'm going to the World Cup." I think my my wife Lucy, she she was my girlfriend at that time. She. Her dad had got permission for her to postpone or delay her degree, a final, a final, final exam, yeah, yeah. Um, to come out and uh, to come out to the uh, Baden Baden or something like that, she and got criticised for it. But she was she was going to come to that because it was fact I was going. And then at the eleventh hour, obviously they've they've changed their mind and t- went with caution, like you say, rather than risk. But yes, you're disappointed. Yes, you're frustrated. 24, I'd had a good season. That's what I mean. You're able to. This isn't you rationalising it now. You were able to rationalise it, feel confident about, yeah, my time's coming. Yeah, that's how I felt. I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty strong. Uh, I don't know. That, that, uh, that's what I felt, and I felt my time's coming. I'm still going to play for England. I, I, that's your dream. Uh, you know, your dream is to play for your, for your country. I've done it in the 21. I've never seen my dad cry. And he said that the only time you'll ever see me shed a tear is when you make your debut for England. And I've never been able to do it. I've never been able to make him cry. <laughs> no pressure, eh? Yeah. Where's the suit? I think it'll be in the cellar somewhere. I'm frustrated with it. So, you know, you just... Did you go to Beckham's party? I didn't go. I didn't feel like it was... I didn't feel it was right. I've got the invitation, but... This is the one where they had Mark cast Keys, of thousand yeah, yeah. and was Elton John not performing yeah, or some yeah. such? Yeah, it was a pre-launch party. So yeah, I didn't feel that. I, I didn't feel that I was. If I wasn't going, I wasn't part of the team. So, but my time will come. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, one of the reasons that we're here is because of the timing of what you've done. And it's worth pointing out to everybody that I've read Matt Jansen. I should say Matt Jansen, because you're of Dutch descent, right? Yes. The families of Dutch descent. The book is very good. You've written your autobiography. It's a terrific read, but it hinges on something pretty central to your life, and it's what happens next. Therefore, I can't deny that I've got, you know, privileged access to details and that I've read it. And the subheading of your autobiography is what was, what is, and what might have been. The reason that it's necessary to use that is what happens that summer. And I I must admit that I've said this to you before we started taping. I found that the, the book's entertaining. I'd really encourage people to read it for dozens of reasons. It's very, very funny in certain parts. It's really detailed. It seems to be very honest. A lot of sports autobiographies kind of shade detail and all. Such and such happened, but I better not name them. But you tell it as, it, at least as far as the reader is concerned, you tell it as it was. But I find also it's quite a difficult. I wouldn't say traumatic read, but it's an upsetting read because of the injustice of what's going to happen next and because of the frustration in knowing that um, it robbed you of things, it robbed us, the viewers, of things because, you know, we love football because of players like you. When, when you turn a match on or you pay your ticket and you go to a ground, you want to see players doing what you did. I don't know if it's going to be difficult or traumatic to go back over what happened next and, and, and how you had to try to cope with it. When you thought of, yeah, he, got injury, he was a bit injury prone and he fell away and went down the leagues, it's, it's, that hurts really. I was flying at Blackburn, I, I was confident as, as anybody, um, give me the ball, let me show off. You know, I'm, I'm going to um, miss out on the England World Cup squad, but I'm going to play for England. I'm, I'm really getting my 
I'm getting more and more confidence. I'm getting better and better as a player. And then crash bang wallop. Instead of going to the World Cup, I decided to go to to Rome with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and did what to to get around what what the locals did. Used we we hired a, a scooter, went to the Trevi Fountain, Colosseum, everything. Everything was brilliant. We're at different ages, but it's the iconic you know image of Rome: Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn, Roman Holiday on a scooter. You know, a young sort of fit guy and a glamorous girlfriend scooting around the eternal city. It was brilliant. It's what you do. Yeah, and I was on. I was the happiest man in the world. Obviously, you're disappointed you haven't gone to the World Cup, but my life was getting complete. I'd found my future wife. I was on top of the world football-wise, confident. Everything was going. Everything was going great. Other than the World Cup, obviously, but everything was in my life was going great and and moving forward. Then crash. Involved in a motorcycle um, scooter accident and was in a coma for six six days. That's how my world went from the highs of the high to the lows of the low. But in Rome, do you you don't? I presume you don't remember what much about. That. I remember. I, I remember that we were we were going back to the hotel from wherever the Trevi Fountain or wherever we'd been, and my wife's helmet flew off. We weren't looking for it. Couldn't find it anywhere. But she speaks she speaks Italian, and we we. There was some police over the other side. We said, "Look, are we all right to carry on? We, our hotel's just round the corner. Are we okay to carry on?" And because we haven't got a helmet, and she says, "Okay, but make sure you you get a helmet for for, for driving." That's what she relayed to me. So I says, "Do you want my helmet mm. to her?" And I passed her my helmet. She, and she says, "No, no, you you keep your helmet on because you're driving. You might as well. We're only up the road." So we we come up. To, so I ke- I kept the helmet on. Would you be alive today? Do no, you think? I don't think so. If well, I was, in a coma, I was in a coma for six days with a helmet on. When the, when the moped is tipped by this wildly driven taxi, I, that helmet saves your life. Well, probably. yeah, because we weren't travelling. We, we were stopped at a junction, and, and if you've ever been to Rome, the, the cars are bumper to bumper. And they just park anywhere and move, <laughs> bump into cars to move. In. So it's just at, at this crossroads, and I'm edging my way out at the crossroads, and as I'm edging my way out at the crossroads... A taxi comes and I take the brunt of the taxi on my side of the face helmet, and my wife's thrown off the back. I've taken the impact of the taxi, mm-hmm. and I'm in a pool of blood on the floor. And she's, in a way, I mean, she sometimes says now it's worse for her because she saw it all. And she she was panicky, and it, to me, I, I can't remember. I, I remember up to the point of impact, and then nothing else. Then it was in an ambulance. She they put a sheet over me, I think. And she said they, they, they thought I'd, they thought I was dead, and she was screaming and crying, saying, "Squeeze my hand, squeeze my hand. If you can, if you can hear me, can you hear me?" And apparently, I, sque- I can't remember this, but subconsciously or whatever it was, something said, inside you responded something, to it. Yeah, and, and she said, "No, he's, he's, he's still alive." Whatever she said, because I, <laughs> I was out of it. But um, they they uh, took me into the hospital. Apparently, it was the seediest, worst hospital going. Then it was recovery. I was in a coma for six six days or something. I think yeah, six six days. Something similar happened to me. I was knocked down, knocked up in the air. I went up in there, down through the car windscreen onto bonnet onto, onto ground. And people then thought certainly thought I was dead too. And and I mentioned it because I didn't remember. I don't remember any of this until I woke up. I remember that the room I was in there was only one other person in it. It was white and it was silent. I genuinely lay there thinking about, well, this is heaven. This is like some 
Oh, this is what it's like. It's, well, it's a bit dull, but <laughs> it's nice and white and calm and quiet. I'm settled for this. Maybe you've been told what your next memory is, but what do you think your next memory is? I have this... I don't like it when people sneeze or cough or blow on your face or well, do warning acceptance. <laughs> yes. warning acceptance. So and I and I was apparently I was in a in a room with another injured person in a bed next to me. It was just a room with two beds and this one was next to me and then there was a sneeze and I went and, and shielded my face from this sneeze which that was my first sign of life if you're a sign of I, I, I was I'd woke up but it was probably just an, a natural instinct that oh I cover my face That's astonishing, yeah. Isn't it? yeah I can't I can't remember it but this uh, Jay my brother-in-law and my my wife said oh he's he's awake because <laughs> I shielded my face from being sneezed on and then memories were just Sporadic. Uh, I can remember being wheeled in a wheelchair down some cobbles. I don't know where it was. Probably at the, at the hospital or just outside the hospital. And the next memory was coming back on a plane. Oliver Gunnar Solskjaer was on the same plane, and he said hi, and I went hi. Apparently, and then again, it, it was just slowly but surely getting my memory back, getting my balance, being able to walk again. I was really unsteady on my feet. Um, I went to. I used to go for tests at John Moore. John Moore's University in Liverpool. The questions were so basic, you know, problem-solving questions to, to see how my, my mind was. And now, having get it was like for six-year-olds probably that could could answer it. Um, and I got most of them wrong. And then bit by bit they would get better and better. But I was told that he's unlikely to to ever play football again. When you hired the moped, was there a part of you that went, "I'll be okay"? Because presumably. You shouldn't have been on a moped. I don't mean because it was an accident. Most people who listen to this podcast are so deeply involved in, in trying to read about football. They probably know that footballers are extraordinarily expensive, so they're an insurance policy. There are quite a lot. Like, for example, the, one of the goalkeepers at Barcelona, Victor Valdez, always dreamed of windsurfing. That, that his goal was to retire and to windsurf. And I remember Guardiola fining heavily finding Ibrahimovic for being on one of these snow scooters in, in the winter break when he went back home, blah, 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 blah. And I also know that footballers take these kind of chances all the time and go, well, nobody will know. But when you both go, right, yeah, this is the way to see Rome, was there a, a little gremlin in your head going, shouldn't really, but I'm invincible? Never crossed my mind. Well, I, I was I was invincible. I, I, that's how confident and and, and that's what. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. You know, I'm 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 on fire. Happy in Rome. I'll be I'll be fine. I was that confident. What's 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 going to happen? Nothing's going to happen to me. You know, I'm invincible. That's my thoughts at the at the time, and that's what was making me play so well at at the time as well. Was my invincibility. Like, so in terms of recovery, thought. The mechanics, the biomechanics of what happened, if I understand it correctly, was that the degree to which your head had either been hit by the car or when your head hit the street, there was a movement of the brain and there was little pieces of damage done, bruising or impacts that left you not just in a coma for a little while, but materially altered. Yeah, um, I had brain hemorrhage, uh, bleeding in the brain, but it was the frontal lobe, which is where you learn all the normal things that came naturally. Um, so, like, for example, getting in a car, 
you don't get in a car and think, right, I've got to unlock the car, I've got to put the car, I've got to press the ignition, I've got to put the mis- You don't, you just do There's it. There's no stages, it's yeah, fluid. automatic. Yeah. And my football at the time was automatic. My frontal lobe got damaged and everything wasn't automatic. Everything was, right, the ball's coming to me now. Right, I've got to... So it was, everything was obviously slower because you, you're thinking about everything instead of it just being an automatic oh that's a good way to that's a, such a good way to explain it so that because I mean, you and I have cheated here you because you know your life me because I've read a little bit about it but for the listener you you were an entertainer you've used the word show off already which <laughs> is, is is healthy in the way that you mean it and we're going to come back to it but you you were don't don't tell me what you want to happen or don't overload me with tactics I'll just do it for you give me the ball and I'll do something that's you were an entertainer and an improviser. You're, there was a degree of slatan in you because that's slatan too. So if if you're then having to just what you said there, analyse or think or the, these split seconds that take you away from somebody or allow you to do the beautiful volley that you did, for example, against Liverpool, but you had done against Spurs. If you have to think about it and process it, oh, it yeah. doesn't happen. It's like a top class artist, an artist mm-hmm. then being having to do art paint by numbers you know what I mean instead of just being free and an artiste then being restricted to to doing it a certain way I was yeah it just wasn't automatic it was just this is wrong you're having to think and the the times where I would do there was glimpses of my old self after the accident when I when I scored against Liverpool I was out of control my my subconscious took out because I was fearful or whatever it might be my parietal lobe or whichever I'm not 100% sure which way around it is took over and my natural came out automatically again rather than me thinking for that few seconds or split seconds my old self re-emerged because I was not thinking about it but I couldn't get away from the spiral that I wasn't invincible you know, I wasn't this invincible. I could get damaged. I could get hurt. That destroyed my ego, my belief system, my how I was c- continuing on this rise because my ego and confidence and invincibility was was growing and growing and growing. It had just been destroyed because I, I proved that I wasn't in, invincible. This is a hypothetical question, but there are players who I've listened to speaking, like for example, Raúl, the great Spain and Real Madrid striker. He's often said. Guys come in the is another one. I wasn't that good. I really wasn't that good. I made myself, I constructed myself. I thought and I thought and I practiced and I planned and I worked and I basically they, they built themselves up. And that's not what you were. You were gifted. You were also lucky in that you'd inherited good genes, you were athletically strong. Pretty quick, I'd say, if, if not, maybe you, you say not lightning, but still pretty. You were given a lot of gifts and you were an instinctive player. It, it all happened in little bursts before this uh, crash. Had you been that sort of constructed player, like Raul describes of himself, do you think after the accident, when you become physically fit, but things are different, do you think there would have been more of a chance of continuing, getting back to where you had been or, or not? I just, uh, yeah I wasn't, I mean you look at the likes of David Beckham who works his, works at his game works at his crossing, works at his free kicks constantly worked, I was never that type yeah I used to I used to try and beat my kicky up record every time I got 
a record. My dad used to give me 50 pence, so it was a, it was a money-making thing for me. But um, I used to practice kick-ups constantly. I, I used to, but I used to love showboating. I used to love dribbling. I used to love, like, like I say again, showing off. Or, or I, if I worked at my game, could I have worked to get it back again? Possibly. I would. I, I can't really answer that because I don't mm. know. But I built. I built my success through getting better and better and better, and my invincibility growing and growing and growing. And that's what my success was built on. Really. What was it? The roar of the crowd. Was it the approbation? Was it? You know, if I if I do something to this guy, if I not make this guy, and have a shot at or in goal. It, the yeah, the adulation. You used to love the adulation of, uh, and and but that just again that just builds your ego up. That just builds your confidence, builds you, uh, and then you want the ball again. You want that same buzz. That oh, look at that. Look at it's, it's oh. the rush. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a drug, isn't it? And it's it, it makes you feel special. When you use that, when one uses that show off phrase in society, it's kind of a bit pejorative. It's not meant to be a good thing to be a show off. But in football, I think that. It's not pejorative, and it, and it is part of what makes entertainment. And, and I like it. And in the context where people read the autobiography, they'll understand. Or show my skill. Yeah, it's not yeah. like oh, you show off your big head. It's not 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 yeah. being big headed. It's more show off how technically good you are. Yeah, how you can do something or how you dribble past people. Do you recognise something that one of the earliest interviews in this series we went to Sheffield um, to? A part of Sheffield that looked very much like this beautiful rolling green hills. Upstairs in the Chris Waddle's loft, we had shirts. There was one club, Falkirk, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> Producer punches there. <laughs> Little models of Stan and Ollie, music everywhere, discs. And he sat there, and you know, after a really beautiful chat about his career and his personality, he talked about being back at Sheffield Wednesday. And the phrase he used, but when he would dip his shoulder and, and show somebody the wrong way and just basically, again, in a nice way, humiliate them or yeah. produce some magic. He said the, the sound of clack, 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 clack as people stood up and the wooden seats yeah, yeah. sprang back and you could hear that sound told you you'd just done something brilliant and he craved it. And then he talked about when he'd lost just a little bit of pace, a little bit of belief. And he came on the ball, tried something, and the crowd went, oh. and, and he said that was a horrible, horrible weight on him, and it induced him having to struggle a little bit with understanding of depression at that stage. I presume you understand those two depression. moments. Well, I, the, I, no, the, the two, two... The roar of the crowd and, yes. the, and the disappointment if something isn't working. The first time I felt it, I, I mean, I, I was praised at Carlisle, at Crystal Palace, at Blackburn. After the accident and a sigh, and you, that was the first well, well, letdown, you know. And then that compounded—you could hear it, could you? Yeah—and that compounded your demise, really. You know, you're going one way because you're invincible, and, you, and then suddenly you're having to think about the game. Suddenly you're getting sighs and moans, or they wanted the best for me. I think fans do. I think, but you can't hide true emotion when you're a little bit disappointed. But that sound. I, I can relate to yeah afterwards and it just it just uh, added to the to the the slip downwards really
I do hope you enjoyed that big interview, which was first released as an exclusive to our socios, our members who support us. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day they're available, it's time for you to join us. To become a socio, and for only £2.99 per month, you'll get all our content entirely ad-free and ahead of its release on the main feed. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast and we'll blow virtual kisses towards you. Thank you.